am eager to continue our, our series called Joy, as um, I really believe that the word that God has given us for this morning is not only life-giving, but also life-changing. And, and so staying true to uh, Paul um, and his theme in, in this book, he continues with joy in this, in this reading that we're going to share today. And we are now officially at that halfway point in the book, halfway through the book of Philippians. Because we're going to be starting chapter 3 out of 4 this morning. And of course, we have to keep in mind that, that Paul did not insert the chapter numbers, the verse numbers. Scholars added that later so that we could easily reference, which I am greatly appreciative of. Um, but, but we are officially halfway through as of this morning. And I've said it before, and I'll say it again. I hope that you have taken up the challenge of reading through the book of Philippians this morning, or this summer. You could have actually have done it this morning. Um, for some of you, it's probably a half-hour read. For others of you, it might take you an hour. I'm a slower reader, so um, it's possible. But I encourage you to do that. I will guarantee you that reading through the book of Philippians is going to be shorter and filled with much more joy than reading through the bylaws. I'm just saying. It will be. Um, but I do also encourage you, read through the, the amended and restated articles of incorporation and the bylaws. The board has worked very hard in getting this put together so that we can present it to membership at the end of the month. And so I encourage you, read through it, be informed, but also read the book of Philippians too. So we're going to dive right into the word this morning. But before I do, um, let's take a moment and just pray. God, we thank you for your word. Lord, that you have preserved it for us, that we can read it and be edified and encouraged. We can be taught. We can be corrected. Lord, there is power in your word. And we know that there is that promise, that your word does not return void. And so, Lord, we are claiming that promise today, that as we share your scriptures, as we read them, as we understand what it is that you're trying to speak to us, Lord, how it applies to us today, God, we know that we have that guarantee. It's not going to return in void. It will go forth for the purpose that you have sent it. And so, Lord, we thank you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, Paul starts off this third chapter with verse 1 saying, Whatever happens, my dear brothers and sisters, whatever happens. And, and I love Paul's pastoral heart because it really shines through here. And you might not see it at first glance, so let me explain. The Bible translation that I've been using for the most part for this series in, and is going to be using today as well is called the New Living Translation, or NLT for short. And, and this translation brings the, the text into modern-day language. So it's easier for us to read, it's easier for us to understand, and it typically holds very similar to uh, the New American Standard Bible. And, and that one, many people believe, holds closest to the original text. Um, I, I don't read Greek and Hebrew, so I cannot confirm that personally. Um, but that's what they have said. And, and so in all of that, I have to say the NLT kind of misses Paul's preacher moment here, though, by starting out with whatever happens. Because many other translations begin this third chapter with finally. Finally. And isn't it like a preacher to say finally when they're only about halfway through? 
Yes, it is okay to laugh. It is okay to nod your head in agreement because you know what? Yes, we, we laugh at ourselves too. So it's all good. But I think it's also safe to say that we've all experienced that where the preacher has finally or brought the, the word finally into the picture or said in closing, however they've kind of indicated the service is, is almost done, the message part is almost wrapped up, and then a half an hour later you finally hear that final amen. <laughs> we've all been there. But wait, it gets better. Because Paul continues this first verse in pastoral style as he writes, I never get tired of telling you these things. (laughs) In other words, Paul's saying, I'm going to tell you again. I'm repeating myself. And who hasn't experienced that from a pastor as well? Repeating themselves. But Paul doesn't just repeat, of course, and, and I would like to think most pastors do not just repeat to fill an allotted 30-minute time frame that's supposed to be the message time. I I hope that's not what is happening because it's certainly not what Paul is doing here. He's not just using up ink to, to fill up the scroll. There is a purpose for his pastoral approach here. I never get tired of telling you these things, and here's why. And I do it to safeguard your faith. I do it to safeguard your faith. So here's our cue then to ask, well, what does Paul need to warn the Philippian church about? What is it that they need to be guarding their faith in? And I think those are really good questions because we will see that we also need to guard our faith against this as well. Now, our situations might be different, the circumstances might be different, but the teaching is just as relevant for today. Paul warns his readers in in verse 2, he says, Watch out for those dogs, those people who do evil, those mutilators who say you must be circumcised to be saved. You see, in Paul's day, there was this group called the Judaizers, and and they claimed that the Old Testament sign of circumcision, um, starting way back with, with Abraham in Genesis, that that was still necessary for salvation. So Paul's warning them, be aware, they do evil. They're teaching a false gospel, propagating a Christ and philosophy. And their teaching distorts the truth. The truth that the power of Christ's work on the cross is enough. There's nothing else that needs to be added. But the Judaizers wanted to to place an extra burden on the people. Of the need to be circumcised. And they wanted to to increase the law even more than really what it intended in the first place. And the law in and of itself could never offer salvation. That wasn't the intent of the law. The intent of the law was to demonstrate the need of a Savior to reveal our sins to us. And obviously here with the the Jewish um, community. And so in all of that, Paul didn't take this false teaching lightly. They were distorting the truth. And we have to be careful that that we don't fall into that complacency in thinking that false teaching doesn't still happen today. Because it does. And so the question then is, how do we guard ourselves against false teaching? What do we do? First, we need to measure every teaching, including mine, to the Word of God, to the Bible. Is it lining up with it? When we look at the Bible as a whole, 
Is it in alignment and in agreement with scriptures? If it contradicts it, we have a problem. So we need to look at the word. Is it in alignment with what is being taught to us? We also can ask the Holy Spirit and need to ask the Holy Spirit to help us to discern what is correct, what is right, what is of God. Because the Holy Spirit's our counselor. He's the one who illuminates the word to us. He helps us to understand. Of course, we can also ask someone as well who we know loves Jesus, that is a maturing follower of Christ, someone who regularly reads and studies the word of God. We can also turn to them and ask them for help in understanding the scriptures. And if we've heard something that just checks in our spirit and we're like, I'm not sure if that's right, um, we can also go to a maturing follower of a Christ and, and ask them for help. And I can guarantee, I, I at least in most cases, they're going to feel very privileged to be able to, to help you understand the scriptures. So false teaching is still out there. We still need to be on guard. And so it's important to measure everything to the word of God. Paul knew the truth of the gospel. That is faith in Christ alone. He knew it was not necessary for a person's faith to be physically circumcised like the Judaizers were teaching. He knew that. He knew that the true sign of belonging to God is not that outward mark on the physical body, but the regenerating power of the Holy Spirit inwardly. Deuteronomy chapter 36 verse 6 says, The Lord your God will circumcise your heart so that you may love him with all your heart, with all your soul, and live. The regenerating power of the Holy Spirit is from within. It's a circumcision of the heart, whereas circumcision of the flesh removes flesh. Circumcision of the heart removes sin. So after this warning that Paul is is speaking or writing to the the church in Philippi, he continues with verse 3 with the correct teaching. He says, For we who worship by the Spirit of God are the ones who are truly circumcised. We rely on what Christ Jesus has done for us. Paul reminded them that relying on the flesh is not what gives eternal life, not what purifies from sin. It's only Christ, not Christ and circumcision, not Christ and trying to achieve righteousness by works, not Christ and whatever else you might want to throw in there. There's lots of options, unfortunately. But it wasn't this achieving righteousness by works, including circumcision. It wasn't that. that was, that's all part of, of life in the flesh. A manipulation of the truth of Christ's complete work on the cross. So Paul addresses this also in his letter to uh, Colossae, um, the church there as well, when he wrote, When you came to Christ, you were circumcised, but not by a physical procedure. Christ performed a spiritual circumcision, the cutting away of your sinful nature. We are forgiven when we receive Christ as our Savior. We become a new creation in Christ, and since it's because of what Christ did, we can't take the credit. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it's a gift of God, not by works, so that no one 
can boast. So let's continue with the rest of, of verse 3. Paul goes on to say, I put no con- or We put no confidence in human effort. Though I could have confidence in my own effort if anyone could, indeed, if others have reason for confidence in their own efforts, I have even more. Now, taken at face value, it kind of sounds like Paul's getting ready to, to go into a boast. Because he's going to uh, share what it is that he thought that he could boast about. But in essence, he's just merely wanting to prove a point here that he lists, as he lists his pedigree, as the impressive religious credentials that he has, that even that's not enough to be boasting about. But he does go on in chapter 5 to, to list that out so that the people can be able to connect these things. He says, I was circumcised when I was eight days old. I am a pure-blooded citizen of Israel because his mother and father were both pure-blooded Hebrews. He says, and I was a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew if there ever was one. I was a member of the Pharisees who demanded the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church, and as far as, and as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. I once thought these things were valuable. Paul's point in boasting in all of this was that if there was anyone who had been positioned by birth, born into the right family, and into the right tribe, it was Paul. He had everything going for him to be in the running for that Law Keeper of the Year award. He had marks of excellence in every area. Paul took religious obedience to the law to the highest level and beyond, and was without fault in following those requirements. But the Bible says in Romans chapter 3, verse 20, no one will be declared righteous in his sight by observing the law. Rather, the, through the law, we became conscious of sin. Paul came to understand that he had been spiritually blind until the day he was struck physically blind on the road to Damascus. Because that's where he met the risen Lord Jesus Christ and was radically transformed. And you can read about that account in the book of Acts in chapter 9. But Paul's reflecting here on his days as that overachieving, law-keeping, pharisaical Christian persecutor. And he's reflecting back and he's looking back at, at where he had once been and to now where God had brought him. And he wrote... I once thought these things were valuable, but I now consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. I no longer count my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. Paul is saying all of our achievements, all of our accomplishments, all of our awards, all of our trophies, it's all garbage. It's all worthless. Some translations say that he counted as loss. Now, 
before you jump to the conclusion that what we do never matters, hang on a minute. If you've attended series or services is here at, at Hill City Assembly of God for over a month, you probably have heard me talk about our grandsons. They're going to be celebrating their birthdays this next weekend. Hudson is now going to be six. Jack's going to be three. And it has been an absolute joy watching them grow and as they've developed and, and all of those things. And, and we at our house, at the, the Jordan Farm, at Grandma and Grandpa's house, we have an open floor concept um, for our dining room, living room, and kitchen area. And our dining room and, and our kitchen area have hardwood floor. So when my parents, the great-grandparents, picked up this little tricycle, it just seemed to make sense that you let those kids ride that thing in the house. Because it goes really nice on that hardwood floor. And, and Hudson was probably only about two when we had that delivered at our house and he couldn't quite make the pedals go around. Well, now that he's six, he's learned how to do 180s. Okay, and then when, when Papa Pat saw the uh, skid marks that the 180s were causing on our hardwood floor, no more 180s allowed in the house anymore. <laughs> And so we've kind of toned it down with the, the little trike. But it's been interesting to watch the two of them, obviously three years apart, but the two of them developing at the different ages. Because at two years old, Hudson couldn't quite make those pedals go around, but Jack, no problem. Hudson could speak sentences at one year. Jack started speaking sentences, putting those words together at about two and a half. So it's only been about six months that he's been speaking sentences. And it's, been a, it's just been a lot of fun to hear him speak because his, his sentence structure has taken a rather interesting progression. When he first started putting these words together about six months ago, he put the most important word of the sentence first. It was probably to get his point across. <laughs> For example, he would say, rah, rah. That's Hudson. Okay. Rah, rah, ride a bike on me. No. And you would like translation, please, right? Because what does rah, rah, ride a bike on me? No mean. Hudson won't let me ride the bike. That's what that means. Hudson is obviously the most important word of the sentence because it's Hudson who needs to be told that he needs to share. Okay? There's a point to all of this, by the way. So let me do as Jack did and reorder one of Paul's sentences so that we can see the most important part first as he's talking here. Compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, yes, everything else is worthless. Does it make more sense that way? When compared to the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, yes, everything else is worthless. Paul's saying here, even though our accomplishments and our achievements can be good, they're beneficial, they can block our view of Christ hinder our ability to see our need and our dependency on God's righteousness through Christ. 
I remember somebody telling me when I first came to know the Lord, they said, you were one of those hard people, and there's many of us hard people, you were one of those hard people because you had these achievements, you had a good life, you had all of these things, and so how could we share with you how important Christ was? And so it can hinder us, our achievements and our trophies, in coming to know Christ. And that's what the individual is saying. I think about a cartoon strip I I saw a while back, and it was of three scientists. And they were determined to create a man that was superior to the one that God had made. And so the image shows them all huddled together and and kind of illustrating that they they were using their knowledge and and all of their research and and, and their, their skills, and, and they were gathering dust for their creation. And then God speaks and says, get your own dirt. <laughs> and I think that that really puts it into context. You know, God wants us to use our gifts. He wants us to use our abilities, our, our good health, our wealth to achieve and accomplish things for his glory. But he doesn't want us to lose sight that everything we have is because of him. Everything that we have is because of him, and that includes our righteousness. Abraham is the first person recorded in Scripture as being accredited with righteousness because of his faith. And I take this from from Romans chapter 4. It says, What did he discover about me and made right with God? If his good deeds had made him acceptable to God, he would have had something to boast about. But that was not God's way. For the Scriptures tell us, Abraham believed God, and God counted him as righteousness because of his faith. When people work, their wages are not a gift, but something they've earned. But people are counted as righteousness, not because of their work, but because of their faith in God who forgives sinners. David also spoke of this when he described the happiness of those who are declared righteous without working for it. He wrote, Oh, what joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven, whose sins are put out of sight. Yes, what joy for those whose record the Lord has cleared of sin. It was recorded for our benefit too, assuring us that God will count us as righteous if we believe in him, the one who raises Jesus our Lord from the dead. He was handed over to die because of our sins. He was raised to life to make us right with God. And Romans 3.22 says this righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who will believe. Christ's righteousness is not based on what we do, but on what Christ has done. It's not confidence in ourselves, it's confidence in Christ. There is joy when our confidence is redirected. Phil Wickham is a well-known Christian recording artist. We've sang some of his songs on a Sunday morning. and He's also a worship leader for a larger church in California, I believe it is. And, and he re- recently shared in an interview his journey of confidence redirected. He uh, shared with the interview, uh, interviewer, he said, I remember when I lost my voice a few years ago. I had to get surgery on my voice, and there was a possibility that I would never really sing on the road again. When the doctor told me that it was going to be intense, a lot of rehab, and hopefully I can get my voice singing again, 
right then I just thought, man, I feel lost. That's how I prove my worth. People come and sing with me and tell me I'm doing a really good job. They buy tickets, they clap for me, and it feels like I'm worth something. I'm secure. I'm doing a really good job. To lose the thing that makes me feel like I'm worth something made me feel really lost, he said. In that I realized how much I'm putting so much of my self-worth and identity in the things I've accomplished and the things I can do and have done. When those were stripped away, I realized how fleeting those things are. It was at that moment, a beautiful moment, where God really spoke to my identity, he shared. As he felt God say to him, Hey, Phil, I'm the maker of the stars. I'm the savior of hearts. And I'm the father to my children, and I call myself the father to you. You're my child, and I'm your father. That's the biggest identity you have, and you can rest in it. Phil recognized that if it was all stripped away, if he didn't get his voice back, the thing that he felt he had the most worth in, if he didn't get that back, there were no accomplishments left, the health, the wealth, it was all stripped away, he realized he'd still have Christ's righteousness. Because Christ's righteousness isn't based on what we do, it's based on what Christ has done. And that, my friends, is joy and confidence to redirected. Because the reality is that sinful humanity has no grounds for confidence before God. Because man unaided is powerless to achieve righteousness before God. The true believer, of course, remembers and knows and puts his, his trust in Christ and also removes those grounds for human pride and for boasting. No religious activity can add to our righteousness in Christ. No human effort or achievement can bring about the righteousness that God requires. It's been said, faith is the very opposite of human works. It is the reception of God's work by those who acknowledge the futility of their own efforts to attain righteousness. It isn't about who we are. It isn't about what we do. It isn't about the family that we were born into, the nation that we live in. It's not about what we're capable of. It's not about what we can't do or don't do. It's about knowing Christ. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith, faith in Christ alone, of receiving God's work. And it all starts with knowing Christ, not merely factual knowledge, but knowing Christ through receiving the gift of God, which is eternal life, a knowing Christ through a personal relationship. The Bible says that if we confess with our mouths Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. For with a heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in, for sal- resulting in salvation. For whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Clothed in righteousness of Christ, our hearts are circumcised and we're made new creations in Christ Jesus. An experiential knowing, which includes the Holy Spirit living within us. Yes, 
Everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus our Lord. Because nothing else is going to last. Our strength is going to fail us. Our health is going to decline. We're not always going to be achieving. We're not always going to have the trophies. We're not always going to have all of these things that we're putting our, our worth in and feeling like we're justified because we have all of these achievements. Because one day all of that is going to be stripped away. And that's why the infinite value of knowing Christ, the righteousness and salvation provided on the cross, is going to remain. Because everything else is going to be stripped away. This is what we'll have left. And that's the life-giving, life-changing message of the day. Joy and confidence redirected. And I don't know where everybody's hearts are here this morning. Maybe you were like Paul, where you were that religious elite. You did all of the, the, the right things according to his religion at that time. Even being a, a super overachiever in it, but yet you just haven't quite made that connection that Christ wants to have that personal relationship with you, that that's how we receive our righteousness. And so I encourage you, if that's you, and, and as we close the service, to just, as I close in prayer, I've got a little bit here yet, so I'm not saying finally yet. Um, but if that's you, and, and you've missed that key component of having God's righteousness, I just encourage you, do what Paul said that I just shared in Romans. Confess with your mouth that Christ is Lord. Believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you will be saved. You will be a new creation in Christ. You will have the righteous robe of Christ. The reason I shared as I did today is not only if there's somebody who needs that relationship with Christ, but also to, to key in on Paul's warning that the church in Philippi was the church. They knew Christ. But we can always run the risk of wanting to add to Christ, no matter where we are in our walk of faith. And so Paul is also exhorting us to remember, don't be adding things to it. We can, so Phil Wickens, a Christian, he's a born-again believer, but he too fell into that thinking of the achievements, the applause of the people. And we all need to be on guard against that. And so I think it's a really good reminder for us. As followers of Jesus, we can readily say that our righteousness comes from Christ. But do we live like we believe that? Do we live like we believe it? Are we demonstrating that with our actions and our attitudes? Or are we looking for our achievements to also be something we can boast about? So I think it's wise and healthy from time to time that we have a heart check by asking God, as the psalmist did in, in Psalm 139, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Do we get anxious with thinking that we have to... to uh, do something to add to Christ by achievements. 
Point out anything that in me that offends you. The psalmist continue, lead me along the path of everlasting life. In other words, make sure my heart's pure. Make sure I'm just relying on your righteousness, Christ, and not all this other stuff that I could take on. Ask the question, am I trusting in anything else this morning as we close? Am I taking too much stock again in my abilities and my accomplishments, trusting too much in my wealth or in my health? Have I misplaced my confidence in my day-to-day? When we do that, our Heavenly Father will will gently um, show us if, if we've allowed something else to creep in. And he'll help us to reclaim that joy in having our confidence redirected, confidence in Christ alone. And so as I close this morning, if you just bow your heads and close your eyes with me, give us time to, to, to just reflect, just to, to take a moment. And, and if there's something that God wants to say to us, to, to seal that in our hearts before, before we move into the baptism service and, and the rest of our day. But God, we just come before you as your people. And Lord, I I pray if there's somebody among us that that doesn't know you personally, that that hasn't come to you with a a broken heart, Lord, for trying to live this life on their own. And and they're just today recognizing they've tried to do it through religious activity. They've tried to, to prove that they're a worthy Christian. But Lord, the truth is they don't even know you yet. And, and Lord, if there's someone here today, I just pray, Lord, that you'd nudge their heart, that you would open their eyes to see, Lord, this Christian life isn't about performance. It isn't about rules and regulations. It's about freedom. Freedom in you. And so, Lord, if that is someone here today, help them to know they just need to believe in their heart, confess with their mouth. They can do that by, by just being with you, Lord, at this moment and whispering, I trust you, Jesus. I believe that you died for my sin. But Lord, I know that there's many of us that have made that decision. But we can still be drawn away from Christ only for our righteousness. And before we know it, we see that we've been relying upon our works, on our achievements, on our abilities. And we find worth in that. And Lord, that isn't what you want. You want us to find our worth only in you because that's the only worth that's going to last. Everything else is going to fade away. Our strength is going to fail us. Our health is going to decline. And Lord, we need to be grounded in you alone. To set that anchor. Because everything else is just shifting sand. And so Lord, help us to search our hearts. Help us to know if there's anything at all, Lord, that if it's offensive to you, that we would make that right, Lord. Because Lord, we want to serve you without any hindrance. So Lord, we thank you 
Thank you for the warning to guard our faith from false teachings, to not let anything else creep in and steal our joy. Help us to continue to to be mindful of where we place our confidence and to redirect it, Lord, when we start placing it where we shouldn't. Lord, we thank you for your word. There is power in your word. There is life-changing, life-giving power. To you be the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.